Enterprising in my surroundings I'm finding the quietest estates these days This representation of storm brewing Amazed that the focus remains The vocal focal point of my change Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast I'm your host, Matt Chittam And this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there Who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. So excited for today's show. we got a Coach's Corner episode with Stephanie Flippin about a handful of ways that runners in the last six weeks of their marathon cycle can unwittingly sabotage their race. Now, it's marathon season, right? It's the fall. Marathons are here. We are so excited, and we're here to help you. Now, this episode is one that's going to be featured on Relay. If you didn't listen to last episode, Relay is the Patreon bundle service that we created nine creators in total coming together to put together a Patreon bundle that provides you over 20 pieces of content per month, including three to five live shows a month. We're talking about people like, well, myself and Stephanie are part of it, as well as Lindsay Hine, Kara Goucher, Carolyn Sue, Marcus Brown, Kafuzi, otherwise known as Mike Coe. We have um, Zoe Rome, editor-in-chief of Trailrunner Magazine. We have such a great group, including Peter Bromka as well, who's been on this podcast many times. And we're going to be coming together to put out an unbelievable Patreon experience. You get a ton of value for $9 a month, and the first week is free. And this first week of content is free, I should say. And basically what we're thinking is, instead of each of us having our own Patreon account, which all of a sudden it's five bucks per person, you get nine people, you get, you get my drift, you get $9, you get the whole thing. And I think we're going to be putting out some unbelievable stuff. There's some good stuff already on there as well. Kara uh, Goucher put out a piece today. Lindsay Hine had a podcast with Steve Magnus yesterday. And my Coach's Corner episodes with Stephanie Flippin are now going to be live shows over on Patreon once a month. And we're going to have people be able to, be able to interact with us during the show to ask questions in addition to whatever topics we cover. So go over to Patreon today. That's patreon.com forward slash relay to go subscribe. So let's get into it with Stephanie Flippin. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Relay. Man, it feels good to say that. So good. This is our first piece of Relay content that Stephanie Flippin and I are doing, and we could not be more excited. Today, we're doing a Coach's Corner episode. We're each going to provide two things, maybe more. We might throw a couple more things in there um, that people sometimes do in the last six weeks of their marathon training to sabotage their race. Now, these aren't necessarily only specific to marathon training, but so many people are right now preparing for a fall marathon. This could certainly apply to a half marathon or an ultra race. There's no question about that. But, you know, marathon, tis the season. So we're going to get into it. Steph, we're doing it. Relay is here. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Do you want us to hear? You, you kick us off. Kick us off with your first, your first thing that you worry about that people may do in the last six weeks of training. Yeah. Okay. So, um, the first thing that came to mind, um, is any athletes that say yes to, especially this time of year too, I'll preface, I'll preface that by saying, you know, it's summer right now. We are heading into the peak of all of our fall marathons. Um, and one of the big mistakes I see athletes do, um, of course, this is kind of, um, you know, regionally specific. Um, uh, but it also, I don't know. I feel like it applies to a lot of, uh, a lot of athletes out there. Um, but what the first thing that came to mind for me is saying yes to major hikes, mountain summits, backpacking trips. Um, and putting an exorbitant amount of vertical gain, um, on their bodies, uh, much more than they would, they're typically doing, um, throughout training. Um, I completely get it. 
There's tons of FOMO. Like the weather is beautiful right now. Well, in some places, I know it's been um, pretty rough for for runners out there. But, um, you know, like you don't want to miss out on a gorgeous hike. You want to, you know, summit a mountain with your friends, your family. Um, But unfortunately, like as a coach, I have seen so many athletes end up doing that. Um, and then coming away with like a calf strain, um, any type of Achilles pathology, um, and it can really take them out, um, of training, um, especially at that kind of crucial, you know, you're getting closer and closer to peak week. Um, you know, so it's a balancing act in terms of, yeah, you don't want to just say no, you know, to fun activities with your friends and family. Um, you know, but there's a, there's a difference between going on a fun hike versus, you know, for me here in Colorado, you know, going on like four back-to-back 14ers or something like that, that your body just isn't used to. That's a great point. So when you have people who bring that up, I guess there's two things, right? There's sometimes who just the people will tell you after the fact, right? Like, (laughs) oh, just so you know. Yeah. After the long run, I did X, Y, Z. What if some people are a little bit more proactive and they're like, say they're six weeks out, they're like, Coach Steph, I want to do X, Y, Z, that's like a super long, long day hike. Um, Obviously, it might not be exactly what you would have planned, but how would you accommodate that phone call? Yeah, great question. Um, Obviously, I very much appreciate when athletes, you know, come forward, you know, and um, bring it up and say like, hey, you know, I'm thinking about um, going up Pikes Peak or something like that. Um, You know, or I'm heading out to Yosemite, um, you know, and I want to go on this 20 mile trek. how I would structure that is I would kind of put that in place of say like an aerobic, like easy, like 18 miler or something like that and not worry about the fact that, yeah, it's a hike. Like I understand you're not going to be like running up, um, you know, a mountain or, or anything like that. Um, but it's still a long time on feet. Um, and we can still get, um, you know, this similar aerobic gains from it. Um, I, I do tend to have a conversation though about like, okay, like let's chat about like the shoes you're going to wear, things we can do just to mitigate like potential injuries um, and just have a conversation about keeping things really easy and not pushing the pace on a, on a, you know, a strenuous hike or, or mountain summit like that, if that's something that they aren't used to doing. Um, but yeah, I would definitely sub it in, um, you know, and kind of look at it more as time on feet um, for that long run. Right. You brought up a good point there, like the 18 mile aerobic run as opposed to the, you know, 16 to 20 mile with some marathon or half marathon type effort in there. Right. Right. All right. That's a good that's a good one. That's good. No, I'm going to I'm going to piggyback on that and kind of approach it from a different perspective. Right. So some of our our flatlanders Mm -hmm. may have the exact opposite situation. Right. So there's going to be plenty of people who are getting ready for flatter marathons. Right. You've run Indy. Have you run Chicago? I have, yeah. Yeah, so you've Indy, Chicago, a little bit flatter, but there's other marathons, right? There's New York. Uh, there's a marathon I'm going to be doing here in Rhode Island, which have plenty of hills, right? Even CIM that some people may be doing the first Sunday in December. People look at, oh, it's a net downhill. Oh, look at the look at the race elevation on the website, which let me tell you, it's not how it looks on Strava. Right. They round those yeah. curves on the website. If you look at some of Strava account, it looks very, very different. Um Oftentimes, people will fail to do, especially in their long runs, fail to mimic the topography and elevation gain of their race in their long runs. Again, if you're running into your Chicago, maybe this isn't that big of a deal. However, if you're running a, a much larger amount of, of uh, marathons out there that have 500 plus feet of elevation gain, which again, sounds like not a lot, but when you're running hard, every little bit counts. 
it's important to, in your long runs, at least hit that number in terms of miles to feet of elevation gain ratio that you're going to have on race day or more. And if you can, try to mimic the kinds of elevation gain, right? So there's a lot of different ways of doing this, right? There's there's the rolling hill course or, or a long run route near you, which may be 50 feet up, 50 feet down, 50 feet up, 50 feet down. And there's the opposite, right? There might be a route near you that's three big hills, and both of those routes could have the exact same elevation gain at the end, but one of those may more closely mimic what you're going to see on race day. And that is vitally important, especially considering for the vast majority of runners, you're not going to hit you know, the 26-mile right uh, run in your training, right? Maybe some coaches do that, and there are probably some people who have some an ultra background that may be able to handle that, especially if they're not running on pavement as part of their training. But getting that elevation gain is vitally important, again, especially on your long runs. And that's where so many people oftentimes kind of skimp out on it, right? It's easy to put that in on your your three or four time a week easy run, right? Right. So you're getting 60 to 75 minutes in and you're getting some good elevation gain. But ultimately, it's a different kind of thing. You're testing your muscles differently and you're testing your metabolism differently, frankly, when you're doing that sort of thing. Practicing on the elevation gain, especially if you get in a hillier run. So like I'm doing a marathon here in Rhode Island, end of October. I think it's 1,100 feet of elevation gain, right? That's so for sig- me, that's significant for a road marathon. It is 100. So like for me, I'm thinking about my own training. It's like okay, well, I'm doing my long runs. I need to have at least that 50 feet to one mile ratio, right? Bare minimum on my long runs and my my marathon is has kind of a, a mix of rolling hills and bigger hills so making sure that I can incorporate that and I frankly I live in a place where I can do that rather easily so it's not that big of a deal if you live in a place that makes it a little bit harder some of our Florida and Houston friends that can get tricky no question about it so maybe sometimes you have to incorporate the treadmill into your training, or you might just have to go back and forth over the overpass a couple of times. You might have to get creative, but it's vitally important, especially if you're really going hard for kind of your best effort on race day. And it's not just a, hey, I'm going out you know, to New York to run the New York City Marathon, but it's more of like a friend's weekend type thing. If you're really going out there to run your best, make sure you plan your long runs accordingly. Yeah. You know, I'll just pop in and um, touch on, you know, a couple of things that you mentioned, Matt. Um, like like you said, the effort is completely different, um, you know, on an easy recovery run, you know, and you're maybe on a hillier route versus really nailing that race effort um, on like some rollers, even also on downhills too. Like, so for example, we touched on CIM, um, you know, in the first 13.1 of CIM, there's definitely rollers. Um, you know, I think the, I think for the whole race, there's like 650 feet of elevation gain, you know, and that's all gained in the first half. Um, and it's also important too, that with a race like CIM, you know, Boston kind of gets more of that, um, you know, really being able to have some net downhill running in, um, especially on that, you know, the first, the first half of Boston. Um, but it's also important to be touching on those, um, those eccentric contractions and just making sure that the quads are ready to handle that net downhill at CIM in the last 10 K. Um, I find that some of my athletes are very strong climbers. Like they're like, Oh, I'm not worried at all about the rollers in the first half. 
Um, but it's kind of different once things level out and then you start going down um, and really understanding like the right effort on the downs as well and not kind of going out way too hard just because you now have gravity um, assisting you. That's a great point. I wasn't even thinking about that aspect of it. And you're, you're absolutely right. And even just the technique of running downhill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At, at pace. Right. Because right. that, mm-hmm. that hurt me in a marathon. People who listen to the Rambling Runner podcast have heard me, have heard me talk about this. When I ran the Cape Cod Marathon about 10 years ago, before they changed the course elevation, um, not the course elevation, <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't flatten the hills. They changed <laughs> the route. Um, right. th- that's what hurt me. The, sec- the first half was flat. The second half was rollers the whole time. There was basically no flat ground. And what happened was is that I started leaning back on the downhills. And after about six to eight miles of doing that, I developed knee pain. And it was all because of how I was just my form in the downhills was the the total reason. I figured this out like six to eight months later when I was like doing jogging recoveries on hill repeats. All of a sudden I leaned forward. I'm like, oh, <laughs> my knee pain went away just like that. Um, so that's also part of it, right? Kind of making sure that you have form again. It's not like on your easy run, it's easy to have good form on the downhills. It's when you get tired. Yeah. How is your form then? So I'm so glad that you brought that up. Yeah, for sure. All right. What do you got next for us? All right. So my next point, um, on a way to sabotage your marathon training, um, leading into race day is we make try- it sound so so like so so attractive. <laughs> like here's another way that you can do it. <laughs> um. So the next point I have is trying a vastly different shoe than what you've been training in. Um, whether that difference is in the heel to toe drop, I think that's kind of the first um, kind of detail that comes to mind. Um, particularly, um, I see it with athletes who, you know, we're six weeks out and they're like, oh my gosh, like I need to, you know, all my friends have been racing in carbon plated shoes. I need to get into one. Um, which one, you know, is the best one? Um, you know, and I, I know that Nike's Alpha Fly V2 just recently came out with a higher heel to toe drop. Um, but, um, you know, the version one, um, has a four millimeter heel to toe drop, which is vastly, um, different than, um, I'm just using Nike as an example, but just vastly different from the majority of their trainers. Um, even like the previous like zoom fly version, um, that is more of like an eight to 10 millimeter drop. Um, so switching into, you know, a totally different shoe that you, you know, are considering racing in can really start to, uh, create issues along the way. If, if you just transition it straight into, you know, a 20 mile run and you run all 20 miles in them, um, also along those same lines with the carbon plated shoe, um, I myself am, am not someone that can just frequently train in a carbon plated shoe. Um, I do have some heel pathology. Um, and so my left heel gets fairly aggravated, um, with a carbon plated, um, racer. So I just have to be cognizant of when I'm utilizing it, when it makes sense to for me personally, like a heavy amount of training, um, in a carbon plated shoe just doesn't make sense. Um, the risk versus benefit. Um, I'm not, I'm just not willing, you know, to kind of, um, have some lingering heel pain, um, after like a workout or something like that. Um, you know, but I've seen a lot of athletes struggle with that. Like they transition into a shoe, they test it out, even if it's, you know, kind of an appropriate break in time. Right. And they're, you know, they're maybe doing a warm up for a quality session and then doing drill strides, changing into um, a carbon plated shoe. Some athletes don't respond well if they've never been in that type of rigidity before. And it can really start to cause issues, um, 
you know, so it's just something to be mindful of um, and potentially something to be considering just further out than six weeks. Um, I know these shoes are pricey, so I get that, like, we don't want to be just piling on the miles in a shoe like that. Um, but like I said, I've just seen so many athletes um, have different issues um, just with changing shoes, um, you know, kind of that close to race day. Yeah, that's a great point. And I feel like the the newer generation of carbon plated shoes by that, I mean, I guess the last year and a half or so. Um, I feel like they're more durable. Yeah, definitely. Than the I first agree. ones, just in terms of like the kinds of rubber that are on the outside. Um, the uppers, I haven't seen, I haven't seen an upper that, that's really worn down. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think even the midsoles, um, like I have, there's some that are probably are better than others in that respect. But say like, I'm thinking of some carbon plated racers that are more accommodating. Mm-hmm. So like the first one that comes to mind is like the New Balance RC Elite 2 is incredibly accommodating for a wide variety of people. I was like a big forefoot. It's super bouncy. The plate is, um, isn't is nearly as rigid as some of the others. Like I have the A6 Metaspeed Skies right here. Like this thing, you can't bend this shoe. You can't. Right. And for some people, that's great. For me, not so great. My foot fell asleep in it in the six, middle of a 16-mile run. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And other shoes, I haven't – I know you're a Hoka-sponsored athlete. I haven't tried any of the Hoka carbon-plated shoes um, this, I just, I have the Saucony Endorphin Pro 3, the one and two of the Speed Pro series did not work for me. Um, the Pro 3 right now is like the other end of the spectrum. It's like extremely accommodating. I could wear it for a recovery day. Never mind. I mean, I've worn it for a recovery day. Mm-hmm. Not I could, I have. Yeah. And I can also wear it for like a fast day. So I think there's also some shoes. There's, there's a, lot, a big variety, I guess I should say now. Yeah. And I feel like kind of getting a feel for what works best for you, like on an individual level is so crucial, Um, you know, and something to kind of toy with um, very early on in the training cycle. So you can really narrow down, like, cause like you said, there's, there's so much variance now, so many different options with the carbon plated racers. So. Yeah. And I think at this point that you bring up a good point, cause I think you should really get your race shoe early on in the cycle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you can practice it on your long run days, sometimes on the speed days, but really in your long runs, like have like, almost all your long runs over a three month span in your, in your race shoe. I think it will probably put hundred to 150 miles on it, but ultimately what's, what's the big deal, right? I think the comfort and the peace of mind will definitely outpace like the, maybe the, the 0.5% of efficiency you lose by like not having a fresh out of the box shoe. Right. Mm-hmm. I agree. All right. This next one is like a big bugaboo of mine. So I'm really excited <laughs> to talk about it. Um, and I haven't addressed it with you. You may feel very Ooh. different than me on this. Okay. So this would be interesting. All right. So I feel like, especially in the last six weeks, people can get hypersensitive with a term that I just, it makes me cringe every time I see it or I see just the the three letters, the GMP. That's the goal oh. marathon pace. It's like, yes, yes. One For me, the the easiest way to sabotage your last six weeks is to all of a sudden start training with a goal marathon pace in mind. Just please stop. Please stop. First of all, your marathon pace is whatever your fitness is. Okay. I'm not saying don't have goals. Goals are great. Okay. But focus on the process, not the end result. Part of that is goal marathon pace is, it's only there to hurt you, my friends. It's not, it's not a friend. It's an enemy. Okay, your marathon pace on race day is your fitness level. Okay, your your training paces 
are also your fitness level, okay? So if you're training, you're going out on a run, say you're doing some marathon effort miles, okay? Or so let's just take the watch out of it completely for this, for the sake of this conversation, right? So you're working on, we'll do like a classic marathon workout, right? You're doing two by four miles at marathon pace with a one mile easy in between and then a warm up and cool down on both sides, right? So that would be a typical two month out workout for someone getting ready for a marathon. Okay, that was four mile each block. You think about marathon effort, we're thinking a little bit faster than like easy plus effort. Okay, so that is an effort level. That is not a pace. Okay, even if you're thinking like, well, I want to think about pace here. I want to think about pace here. Well, also, you have to think about the other factors, right? You have the heat, you have the the elevation gain and stuff like that. In addition, you are also not tapered. Right, right. Getting to understand what marathon pace effort feels like is a big deal in training because ultimately that's going to be the big thing on race day because if you only go by your watch, then things have to be perfect, not only in terms of the settings of the race, but also your projection of your fitness has to be perfect. All these things have to line up. Okay. And so often they don't, right? There's been many studies that show and that say women are better at pacing marathons than men. Right. And a lot of the studies that they use to come up with that is a really simple tool. They basically have people predict what the marathon time is going to be ahead of time, and then they see how fast they run the marathon. Right. So it's not necessarily so you get to this thing like, all right, are women better at pacing than men, or are they better at predicting how fast they're going to run the marathon than men? Right. Right. Are, men are they just, just more bad? realistic? <laughs> right. Are they just bad at predicting? And maybe they pace themselves perfectly for like that idealized time, but like their idealized time was exactly that. It wasn't exactly realistic. Mm-hmm. All of these come play a part of trying to predict and forecast or wish cast what your marathon is going to be instead of being optimistic, but training in a way that is your your body is leading you forward instead of your watch. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm with you on that. Um, you know, that kind of GMP goal marathon pace. Um, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like your fitness is your fitness. That doesn't mean that it can't change, you know, in the span of three months, like in the span of the training cycle. Um, but that's the other thing. What if like, what if you get better? Exactly. What if the goal marathon pace is too slow? Right. Right. And that's why, yeah. And that's why, you know, finding that right effort is so important. I've had it's probably been, I've probably had more athletes that have shocked themselves and gained more fitness than they, you know, initially even thought they would um, at the beginning of a training cycle. So um, yeah, very good point there. Um, That's right. GMP, GTFO. (laughs) GTF, I'm getting a GTFH. I don't know. I need a piece. Is there a pen or paper around here? I can can write this down. (laughs) Um. Well, my third um, point is actually very similar to yours. It's not exactly the same, um, but um, that would be turning like a 16 to 20 mile aerobic meant to be easy time on feet run into testing out prolonged marathon effort because how will I ever string together 26.2 miles um, at, you know, my GMP? Um, That to me, um, I... I, I can't think of any like, you know, personal athletes of mine that have done that. You know, that's definitely. Um, I'm raising my hand. I've done it. I've done it and I've regretted it. Yeah. You know, I feel like you just left your best work um, out on the roads in training. Like that was your race. Um, and I know for a lot of people, it's one of those things where they're like, 
I really need that confidence boost. Um, you know, I, I really want to know that I can string together that many miles. But Matt, like you just mentioned, race day is totally different. There's a taper, you know, there's um, there's a very specific carb load that we do going into it. Um, there's adrenaline. There's just race day environment. Biggest thing being the taper, right? Um, but yeah, I think that that's probably the biggest way that you can sabotage, um, you know, your training block heading into your goal race is by, you know, leaving your best work in training. Um, and I just so highly caution against doing that. Um, you know, there's tons of other ways to gain fitness or I'm not get, not gain fitness, gain confidence, um, throughout your training block. Um, and it, it does not have to be in the form of consecutive, that many consecutive, uh, marathon effort miles. Absolutely. Let me, I know there's like the, what's, what's, what's the word? It's like, um, the nervousness or like the imposter syndrome sure. that can lead mm-hmm. people into that. I've actually, the times that I've done it has been not the opposite, but it's been more of like just feeling the vibe. Yeah. You're like, let's Sometimes just go you're in for those it. Runs and you're just like, you know what? I feel great today and I don't want to step on the brakes anymore. I just want to go. Yeah. Right. So you're just like you're in the flow, you're feeling good. And I had a run like that, I think it was leading into Eugene. And it wasn't this isn't why the Eugene Marathon went so badly for me. It was went so badly for many other reasons. Um, but I remember this was like two months out. Maybe it was like two and a half months out. I did a 16 miler. Um, actually it was when I was wearing these shoes. It all comes back to the A6 Metal Speed Sky. Um so my foot fell asleep, but I actually my legs were feeling really good. And I ended up running like 754 pace on average, on like a pretty hilly route, which is like maybe faster than I was planning on running the marathon, <laughs> frankly. Sure, like it sure. was like one of those like what just happened type moments. But it was funny because it was the exact opposite. It was like, I'm feeling good. I don't want to step on the brakes. But I remember afterwards being like, I mean, I know why I did it. And like it did feel good, but like I kind of regret it afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. But anyway. This more of an anecdote than like any kind of like inspiring wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We just gave two. I have another one I want to say. Cause I feel like I thought you were going to say this one. So I was kind of saving. I have I have one more that very much ties into what you just said, but I don't want right. to skip you. All either. right. Then do it. Yeah. Then do it now. Okay. We'll lead right okay. into it. Okay. I'll do it then. Um, well, your mention of, I w- you know, you were feeling so good and like, why not? My last point was along those same lines skipping planned rest days or like running through them, um, because you feel really good. Um, my, my whole coaching philosophy is the idea like, isn't to rest because you feel terrible and you have to, um, we want to stay ahead of things and build in planned rest versus forced rest. Um, so I hear that quite often, um, definitely with more of my kind of experienced athletes where they're like, I'm feeling really good though. Like, you know, can I just head out for like five to seven miles easy, you know, on this day? And it's like, you know, but we haven't taken a rest day, you know, in two weeks or, you know, we've been taking a rest day every Monday, like, and you've been staying healthy. And there's a reason for that. Um, and along those same lines, not kind of wanting to obsessively cross train on those rest days either. Um, you know, building in planned rest days is so important so that you're not forced to take them, you know, so you're not forced to take like five rest days, like later down the line. Um, and yeah, that's, that was kind of my, um, last little, uh, point there. Absolutely. 100%. For me, my last one is nutrition on long runs. Yeah. Okay. So 
dialing in your nutrition. So here's the thing. Some of your long runs, you're, you're going to feel like your focus is on like, all right, this is like the marathon pace element, or this is like the threshold pace element. All right, this is where I want to like, you, you start thinking about like the harder efforts within the long run, and that becomes your focus. And understandably so. Okay, but these long runs are also vital for figuring out and more than that, expanding your ability to take in nutrition on the run. Okay. My co-host here, Stephanie Flippin, is the <laughs> hydration queen. She takes in more liters of hydration than anyone else on the planet during a run. She's the anti-camel. She is hydrating constantly. Um, but it's more than just that. That's definitely part of it. But it so you definitely want to figure out, especially for some of our newer marathoners, you need to t- find out which gels work for you. And uh, sometimes for some people, it's an easy process. For other people, it's not. But even if you get to that point, which if you do, congratulations, that's step one. Awesome. Great job. The more gels you can take in on a run, on a long run or in a race, the better. Okay. You're still going to be at a huge caloric deficit. When I tell my athletes, as they say, well, how many gels should I take in in a marathon? It's simple. How many can you take in Yeah. without your GI system going bananas? Okay, Mm -hmm. so that's the thing. And part of that is genetic, for sure. But a lot of that is also tolerance and what you build up to. Okay, so learning if you can take a gel every 20 minutes in a marathon, that's going to really help. Oh, yeah. But you don't just get that just because you want it. Okay, part of this is also learning to train our stomachs and our GI systems for what normal can be. And that can only happen in training. So make sure that you're doing this on all of these long runs, even the aerobic 16 to 18 miler, where it's just, I'm just going out there having fun. There's no marathon pace part of this. I'm just relaxing. Great. Even it's an more opportunity. Reason, even yeah. more reason mm-hmm. to, to play with the gels, right? Because you're not like, oh, I don't want to have stomach issues in the middle of this marathon pace segment. I understand that feeling. I've been there. But especially on those aerobic days, that, what a great opportunity. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll pop in there too. I think all of my athletes know how crazy I am. Matt mentioned it, um, about, you know, caloric intake, um, on long runs and practicing that. Um, I even noticed myself doing it and I told myself, no, you need to take it. Um, this past weekend I had an extra long run. I went 27 miles. Um, I, I take like a varying amount and like different types of like nutrition on the run. So I'm not just taking one gel that's a hundred calories. I, I tend to vary it um, based on like my nutrition sponsor. Spring energy has tons of different options. Um, you know, the, the one that I is my favorite is 180 calories. So I have to space it and oh, time wow, it a little a bit differently. Yeah. Um, but I was getting towards the end of my run and I was like, Oh, I just have three miles left. Oh, even though I'm coming up on the time where I would normally take a gel, I'm like, uh, maybe I don't really need it. I stopped myself and took one anyway, because it's not just about getting yourself through those final three miles. You have to be thinking long-term here and thinking about your recovery as well. So even though, yeah, I certainly could have pushed through and ran, you know, and jogged it in for my last three miles. I didn't necessarily need, you know, another, you know, caloric boost to get me through. It's, it's not going to hurt me. Um, you know, it, it's not a big deal for me to just take it, um, just do it. Um, you know, and it's something I tell my athletes, like if it's a concern of like, you know, how 
expensive, like engineered sports nutrition is, please just reach out to me and I will take care of that. And anyone out there who, if that's a concern for them, please just message me. Um, you know, because it's one of those things where just do it. Like, even if you just have 30, 40 minutes left in your run, um, it's only going to help you and your recovery after that run. And then for the rest of the week and into the next week. Um, and yeah, I just can't underscore that enough about fueling and practicing fueling on long runs. There you go. All right. There we go. Our first Relay podcast. I hope you liked it. So we're releasing this the first week that Relay is launching, launch week. And we're just so excited about it. So if you're listening to it during that first week, first of all, thank you for being one of the first people in the Dort Relay. We think this will be the place for the best running content for dedicated amateur runners on the internet. We fully believe that. And we know that's going to be the case. If you're listening to us three years from now, welcome. <laughs> We're glad you're here. <laughs> but uh, in the meantime, make sure you check out patreon.com forward slash relay for all the content, all the updates and the rest of the team members as well. And if you like what you hear, share with your friends because, you know, they're going to need help in their marathons, too. So thank you so much for listening and happy running. All right, Stephanie, thank you so much. All right. Just a shout out again. Go over to patreon.com forward slash relay for what I think is some of the best running content on the internet, creative, collaborative work that we are just so excited about. And it's a huge deal for you. Like I said, instead of us all having our own Patreon accounts, we have one. And you get all that stuff for just one Patreon account. I think it's an absolute steal of a deal. Thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest of states these days. Just representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.